So I knew going into this week that it was going to be Christmas Eve, you know, on the Lord's Day morning. And early in the week, I thought about maybe getting creative and putting together a Christmas message that would be maybe appropriate for the day. And as I began to pray and I began to prep, I found a great passage, the very next one in the Gospel of Mark. And this is our Christmas message. So with your Bibles, please open them to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31 will be our text for this morning's message. I don't need to remind you, but we are in the season of gift giving. The season of family dinners, work parties, gatherings of friends and loved ones. A time of joy and celebration for the things that we have. Also a time of sorrow for maybe what we've lost this year. It is a season of hustle and bustle. A lot of activity. It's scary to go to Route 2. (laughs) And in this time, there becomes this accumulation of stuff. Things. There are things that are needed that we would receive during this Christmas season. There are things wanted, and there are certainly things unwanted that we receive. The rule in the soul home is toys without noise. But there's a danger also in this time of year with the accumulation of many possessions. And while it is nice to receive gifts and give gifts, there is a danger. There's a danger with that, that happens when we end up having things which can turn around and things actually have us. And we must be careful. And in this passage here this morning, we see that on display. We see where possessions possessed a person. And may the lesson that we learned from this this morning be applied to all of our lives as we seek to honor Christ. Follow along with me in Mark chapter 10, picking up in verse 17, a familiar passage with all of us. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions." And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. But, with, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. 
Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This ends the reading of the word of God. This morning's message I've titled, The Great Exchange. And the idea that I want us to see in this passage is that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to value Him above all earthly possessions, and we must be willing to forsake all for Jesus. This is what we will see here concerning the rich young man. Notice with me here as the scene set, as we set the scene in verse 17, we notice here the power of possessions that are at work inside this man. Jesus, as it says here in verse 17, is setting out on his journey. His ministry in Perea is coming to an end. He is making his way south. He is, he is following and he's going with the, the migrating crowds that are making their way south for the Passover. Jesus is set his gaze to Jerusalem, and this is where he is to end up. Jesus is making his way south to fulfill the purpose for why he came, to give himself, give his life in exchange for sinners. And we notice here what occurs in this scene as Jesus is ready to set out. We read here that a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him a question. It seems innocent enough. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, when we would look at Matthew and Luke's account with Mark and we put it all together, we would learn of this man that he is rich, that he is young, and that he is a ruler or an elder in the synagogue, hence, hence why he's often referred to as the rich young ruler. And he, what I want us to notice here with this question is he is asking, first we must see, he is asking the right person the wrong question. Notice what he asks and why I should and we should take issue with his question. He says, "What must I do? What work must I perform? How can I earn this eternal life?" We observe of this man, he is direct. He knows what he wants and he knows who to ask. From this account, I want us to see three issues that are revealed concerning this man. And the first issue that we see concerning this man is a misunderstanding of goodness. He goes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Before Jesus even deals with his question, he needs to deal with how he referenced Christ. Verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What Jesus is doing here in this moment is he is clarifying what goodness is. And he says, only God is good. Now, before we would go into any type of heretical waters here, let us be, let us be very careful and understand that Jesus is not creating a distinction between him and God. Instead, rather, he is tightening and correcting this man's loose understanding of goodness. He was able to just kind of... It, just in a, in, a, in a 
non-thinking way attach this title to Christ. And Jesus is basically telling this man that the standard of good is not arbitrary. It is not subjective to what you decide good is, but that God alone is the standard and the source of all goodness. God in Christ set the bar for what good is. And so he wants to clarify this man's weak understanding of goodness. But in correcting his understanding of goodness, he will take him directly to the law. Notice in verse 19 how Jesus responds to the man's question. Jesus is willing to walk down this road with him for a few back and forths. And Jesus responds with the law. He tells him, in in essence, keep the law. Jesus uses the law as a measuring rod. In essence, he says, so you want to inherit eternal life. How then do you stack up against the law of God? How do you stack up? How has your, your performance been in keeping God's commandments? Here, Jesus shows one of the proper uses of the law. The law is given to restrain evil. The law is given as a, a guide to Christian living. And in this use, the law is meant to drive people to Christ. It is meant to reveal our sin. And so Jesus properly appropriates the law as he speaks to this man. You know the commandments, verse 19, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Notice the response of this confused man. And he said to him, teacher, Notice what he didn't call him. He didn't call him good teacher again. He at least is listening in some form. And he says, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. All right, second issue. First, he misunderstands goodness. The second issue is that he knows morality cannot save. He knows that morality cannot save. Let's not be quick to dismiss this man as a liar. The text isn't saying that he's a liar. And there's no indication he's lying. In fact, Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6 says, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul would say of his former life, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But this man knew that there was something more than just living a good life. If he was content with his morality, he wouldn't have run up to Jesus, knelt before him, and asked him this question. No. He isn't content with his life as it is. There is no peace in this man. So he asks the question. And notice the loving response of Christ. The loving response of Jesus. He doesn't look at him and say, you self-righteous, arrogant person. No, he doesn't say that at all. Jesus looked at him and no doubt a heart of pity. He cares for this man. He hurts for this man. He loved this man. And so he gets to the heart of the matter. Here we have before us this rich young ruler, a confused soul. He does not understand goodness, but he knows that there is more than just being moral. He's searching for answers. And Jesus, out of his great love for this man, tells him exactly what he needs to hear. And it is not what he wants to hear. And he tells him, look again, verse 21, go, Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. 
What is Christ telling this man? He said, in essence, he's saying, lose yourself. Lose yourself to inherit eternal life. He calls this man to make the great exchange. He's saying, be willing to give it all up in order to gain so much more. Forsake yourself and follow me. And again, this is the great exchange. So this reveals the third issue in this rich young ruler. Third issue, he wanted it all. He wanted all. Notice how he responds to Jesus' saying, disheartened by the saying. This literally means his, his countenance fell. His shoulders shrunk. He was so discouraged by what he had just heard Jesus say to him. His jaw dropped because Jesus hit him right on the bullseye. Jesus went to the heart of the matter. It's as though he said, wait, what? What did you just tell me that I had to do? Give up what I love most? Give up my, my most valued treasure? What I've strived my whole life to accumulate? You want me to give up that which I love the most? And how does he respond? He went away sorrowful, for he had great or many possessions. And here is the problem that we see in this passage. It wasn't necessarily that he had possessions. In reality, it was that great possessions had him. This is the power of possessions we see here. And this is a danger that many face. They want it all. It's not so much that people don't want Christ. They want Jesus and. It's Jesus plus everything else in my life. It's Jesus in addition to my already established life. This man wanted to add eternal life to his already comfortable life. As a shrewd businessman who had already set himself up for a comfortable life, he was looking to the future. And he wanted to begin the process of taking an eternal life policy out. But when faced with the reality that he can't have it all, he walked away. Why? Why does this man walk away? He's unwilling. He's unwilling to part with that which means so much to him. I read this line, and even this week, it was so sad to me. In verse 22, he went away sorrowful. Such a sad story of this man. And here's the lesson that we can learn from this. It's okay to have things. It's not okay for things to have you. Hold your material possessions loosely. Hold Christ tightly. Recognize that all that we have is from God. Is this mine or am I a steward of this? What do you have that you have not received? Is God sovereign over all things? Even my things? He went away sorrowful. This man is much like the, the one that we learn in the parable of the sower, where the seed falls among the thorns. This is what Jesus says concerning this parable. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
And this is what we have before us now. The power of possessions is that they draw us away from Christ, not to Him. It's stuff that keeps many away from Jesus. And remember, stuff is temporary. It breaks. It fades. Moth and rust destroy. Where's your treasure? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let us remember, possessions are temporary. Christ is eternal. This is the power of possessions. And in contrast here, this man walks away because he is so attached to his stuff. We see a contrast as Jesus gives an explanation to his disciples of the event that just took place in front of them. Notice with me Jesus' explanation in verses 23 through 27. Jesus will explain what has the, to the disciples what they just witnessed in this man, and he uses escalation. He will escalate three times to, to stress the importance and the meaning of what they just saw here. And first, I want us to see here the first step of escalation Jesus does. And he answers and he gives an explanation and says in verse 23 basically this, it is difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom. First, it is difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because wealth breeds self-sufficiency, a sense of safety, a sense of comfort, a sense of independence, and it can lead to misplaced priorities. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so when Jesus says it is difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of God, notice how the disciples respond. What does it say here? Look with me again in your Bibles. And the disciples, verse 24, were amazed at his words. So here's the first step. He says it's difficult for the rich, and they're amazed. But this is going to escalate. Jesus comes back again in verse 24 and says, in fact, it's difficult for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. So it's difficult for rich and then children. In his loving way of addressing his disciples, it is difficult for any to enter the kingdom of God. And so to stress this point here, Jesus uses an illustration of extreme exaggeration. He says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some have tried to interpret this passage and believe that there might have been a gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. Uh, there's no evidence of that interpretation for the first thousand years of church history. Only in about the 10th century did people start to use that term. So there's no historical evidence that that's even true. Some have argued that a camel really means rope, since there's only one letter different in the, in the original language. But that doesn't make sense because of the response of the disciples. They're amazed at what Jesus says. And then when Jesus says it's easier for a camel, literally the biggest, one of the biggest beasts in Palestine, to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven... The disciples cannot believe their ears. What Jesus is essentially saying here is that it is easier for what is physically impossible than for what is spiritually impossible. And again, after they hear this, how do the disciples respond 
a second time. First, let's notice the escalation here. The disciples at first, in verse 24, were amazed. Now, in verse 26, they were exceedingly astonished. They can't believe their ears, what they're hearing. Well, why do they respond like this? Well, in their culture, understand this. To have wealth, to have possessions, meant that you were blessed by God. That was the understanding of of the Jews in the first century. So they are thinking this along these terms. They're hearing Jesus say this, and their conclusion is, so even if people that are blessed by God can't enter the kingdom, so they don't know what to do, so they just throw their hands up, and they, they ask the question, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Jesus, third point of escalation here, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. So it is difficult for a rich man, rich person to enter the kingdom. It is difficult for anyone to enter the kingdom. And finally, he says, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible for man by his own efforts to enter into the kingdom of God. It, it, what Jesus is stressing here, the point being made, is man's total inability to save himself. It gets back to the question that started this passage. What was the question? What must I do? And Jesus is saying, with man, it is impossible. Ultimately, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is nothing. I mean, the only thing we've contributed at all to the equation is the sin that nailed Christ to the cross. What must I do? With man, it is impossible. And if we stop there, this is hopeless. We are most of all to be pitied. This is an exercise in futility. And we're wasting everyone's time. But it doesn't stop there. But not with God. And I want us to see here, this is the power of God that Jesus is speaking of. He is saying what humans cannot do, God can. And here's the tension, or or really the, the contrast of this passage. The power of possessions draws one away from Christ, and it's the power of God that brings someone to Christ. Also, we see two sides of the same coin here. Jesus invites the rich young man to him. Just as the free offer of the gospel is for all people. As was read even in our scripture reading, when the angels said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But we must recognize that those who come, who respond to Jesus' call, who put their faith in Christ and are saved, they are saved not because of the power of their choice, but because of the power of God that has done a work of grace in their hearts. The outward response of a person willing and desirous of Jesus is because of an inward work of grace in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. John 3, the wind blows as it wishes, so it is with the Spirit. So when we think about salvation, we must understand it is a miracle. We heard the testimony of a miracle Regeneration is not a choice we make. Coming to Christ, being born again, 
Again, what did you contribute to your first birth? Nothing. What do you contribute to your new birth? Nothing. It is the work of God. God works a miracle in the hearts of those whom he saves. The heart of stone being replaced with a heart of flesh is not the work and the trying and the striving of my own self. It is the work of God. One commentator on this passage said, quote, The salvation of the rich is always a miracle, but miracles are God's specialty. End quote. So every salvation, rich or poor, young or old, It's the story of God's power to save sinners for his glory. With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. You see, with the rich man here, he wanted eternal life, but he was not willing to forsake all for Christ. He was unwilling because in his mind, he valued possessions more than Christ. We must remember this. God makes us willing to come desirous of Christ. This is the power of God to save. And notice with me here also the promise of Christ. After he has explained this, that with man it is impossible, this man wanted it all, but he didn't want Christ on Christ's terms, so he walks away unwilling. But then we see the promise here. And Peter began to say to him, And I say this all the time. We always got to watch out when Peter begins to speak because we don't know what we're going to get. It might be really good. It might be really bad. It's usually never in the middle. And so Peter began to speak to him. He doesn't get his whole thing out because he just began and Jesus is like, all right, I've heard it. I got it. I will respond to you. But Peter says, see, we have left everything and followed you. How are we to respond to this? Peter is probably wealthy, or at least was with his fishing business. Should we see this as positive or negative? I would argue that this is a positive statement from Peter. He's not looking and saying, look at everything we've done, but he's comparing where they're at with the reaction of the rich man after he's heard about the power of God. And so what Peter's actually doing here is, is it that God has worked in our hearts? That we are following you? We are willing to forsake Because it's not our own efforts. Yes, we came to you, but you drew us. Whereas the rich ruler walks away, the disciples, despite their failures and their faithfulness, their faithlessness, they do not. They are willing to follow Christ. And this is the evidence that we would see of the power of God in their lives. And I want you to notice here in this passage, Christ's promise to them. And Christ's promise to them, by extension, is Christ's promise to you this morning, this day. If you are somebody that likes to mark up your Bible, I would highlight, underline, bold, circle the word no one in verse 29. He says, here's his promise. Truly I say to you, there is no one. That, is, that means no one. That doesn't mean someone. It means absolutely no one. He says, there is no one who has forsaken all, who will not receive back 100 times what they have given up. It may be in this life. It may be with persecutions, coupled with persecutions, and it may be in the life to come. And it could be all of that combined. 
Again, what does Christ promise here? It's the great exchange. It is the great exchange. I know many of your situations. Some of you have lost family because you've taken a stand for Christ. Many of you have had to forsake friendships and relationships. Maybe not by your choice, but you've been forsaken because of your stand for Christ. But in doing so, God has brought you to a spiritual family. God has given you meaningful friendships, eternal friendships and family. Some may have moved because of the gospel. Some have given up much, made great sacrifices. And what Jesus says here in this passage is you will receive back far more. It's not a one-to-one exchange here. But lest we fall into the trap of health, wealth, and prosperity, Jesus is very clear in receiving blessing from God, you will face trials. You will face persecutions on the road to glory. So let me encourage you here. Where Jesus says, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Take heart, believer, with whatever you're facing, whatever challenge, whatever difficulty, whatever sacrifice you are being called upon this day to make, there is hope, there is light, there is a promise of Christ. And all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Understand this, if you have Christ, you have a treasure that cannot be measured. You are a rich man and a rich woman if you have Christ. You have an inheritance beyond measure. You have Christ. Elon Musk has a net worth somewhere shy of $200 million. You have Christ. And nothing, no silver or gold, wealth, fame, possessions, or anything and everything in this world combined can compare to that. You have Christ. What is my only hope in life or death? It isn't my stuff. It isn't my possessions. It's not my car. It's not my house. It's not my bank account. It's nothing. It's Christ and Christ alone. And because of that, I have a treasure that cannot be taken. I'm a rich man. Jesus makes this promise to his disciples and by extension to us. And Jesus can make this promise because he secured it in his great exchange. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the great exchange that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took on humanity so that one day you would put on immortality. Jesus is nailed to a cross so that your sins could be nailed to a cross. And if they are nailed to the cross, they are no longer upon you. 
Keep that in mind. Jesus hangs on a cross, a cursed man. As it says in Galatians, cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree. Jesus is cursed so that you would be blessed. Jesus dies and is treated by his Father as the most heinous of sinners who knew no sin so that you would be treated as the most holy. This is the great exchange here. He took my sins in order to give me his righteousness. He took your sins away and paid for them in full to give you the fullness of his righteousness imputed to you by faith. This is the great exchange. He died forsaken so that I could live forgiven. The Father in heaven forsook the unforsakable in order to love the unlovable. It's not because we were mighty or great or anything worthwhile in ourselves. We were destitute sinners, rebels from God, enemies of God. And his beloved son, he says, I will put their sins upon my son so that I can call them sons and daughters. This is the great exchange. On the cross at Calvary, the penalty for our sins was imputed to Christ. And there is only one man, the God-man, who could bear the weight of our sins and rise again to proclaim victory. We needed all of God and all of man to come together for our redemption. Because in his humanity, he dies or he identifies. But in, in, in his deity, he is able to discharge the debt of sin that is owed. We can pay for our sins, but it will cost us an eternity in hell. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This is the gospel in a verse. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's the wrong question. It's what Jesus has done that gives eternal life. You cannot buy it, you cannot earn it, and you cannot return it. We must believe, we must receive, and we must live this truth. Because as the Word of God tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So, as we engage in this Christmas season, a time of giving of gifts and receiving, I want you to remember the great exchange. My life for His. You will not find anything better under your tree you will not give a gift greater than this. It is the gift of God to all who will come and to receive. And those whom he gives the gift, he does not allow to return it. He freely offered his life for yours, and he bids you this day to come. Come. Lay aside possessions. Lay aside anything that clings so closely that would distract you from being a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you like the rich man who wants it all, or are you more like the disciples who are willing to give it up in order to follow Christ? Jim Elliot said, 
He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. So when you think Christmas, think the great exchange. It'll keep us humble. It'll keep us happy. It'll keep us hopeful. So, three, just reminders, three applications. Do not let things rule your life. Let Christ. Second, hold your possessions loosely. Hold Christ tightly. And third, be willing to forsake all for Christ. There is nothing that you would give up that you will not receive 100-fold, whether it be this life or ultimately in eternity. So let us look forward with that hopefulness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would apply this truth to our lives. Lord, that we would think much of the great exchange. You were pleased to send your son as a ransom for many, to stand in the place of sinners and freely give us the gift of eternal life. Lord, we do pray that we would think much about the things we hold dear. And Lord, we would repent if there's idols in our hearts of the things that we have and the things we are not willing to let go for the sake of following you. Oh, Lord, bring us into deeper levels of conformity to the image of Christ. Lord, bring us into deeper levels of obedience and increase our love for Jesus so that our love for everything else pales in comparison. And in doing so, that we would be more loving to all around us. We pray, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.